Our kids are dependent on us to reveal truth to them, to help them interpret their world and enter a relationship with through them, all through the, through the means of communication. Second, second way that we can see theologically that uh, communication is something that we uh, are to be doing with our kids is that God actually commands us to communicate with and instruct our children. Uh, hear, hear this word from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall walk, uh, talk, uh, talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on doorposts of your house and on your gates. Here we can see that parents are commanded to communicate the truths of God to our children. This is spoken in the context of the Mosaic Covenant in the Old Testament, of course, but that clearly that principle comes over into the New Testament when we read passages like Ephesians 6.4. Bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So I want us to be clear. We as parents are charged with the responsibility of teaching our children who God is and what he has done for us. We are the primary means by which God communicates his truth to the next generation, and in doing so, we reflect his image back to him. Now, there are really two main areas of communication that I want us to think about and consider today. Uh, One is how we communicate, so the means by which we deliver the message, and then I want to talk a little bit about what is that message itself. What are some of the elements of the things that we're trying to communicate to our kids uh, in terms, as we're raising them in this way? <clears throat> so how do we communicate? As, a, as important as the context of our instruction is, the content, sorry, as, a, as important as the content of our instruction is to our kids, um, the truth is that they're not going to be wooed or convinced merely by the words that we pick in, or, in, in order to communicate with them. Uh, what we say is of vital importance, of course, but how we say it is what will determine if the message sinks in or just falls on deaf ears. When my sister and I were kids and being unkind to each other, my mother would often say to us, you'll catch more flies with honey than you will with vinegar. Right? So, but what's the meaning of that proverb? It's a social proverb, but what's the meaning of it? The meaning is is that if you will approach somebody with kindness, you have a much greater chance of achieving whatever goals it is you want, to, you want to bring to bear or whatever goal you have to accomplish. Another way we can look at it is that some of you here today do very well learning by just picking up a book and reading it. But other ones of you would tell me that you really don't learn anything unless you actually put your hands on something and do it. Right? And so uh, the, way that, the way that material is communicated and how a lesson is taught is, is hugely significant and makes a huge difference in our ability and willingness to absorb what we're trying to learn. So one of the main things I want to do here today and in this section is to give a sense for the variety and richness of methods that we have at our disposal when we're communicating with our kids. Okay? So the first, before we get into some of those different methods, though, I want to start with the basics. Right. The ones that I think we're probably pretty much all clear on. Um, How do we communicate what we want from our kids? Uh, Generally speaking, we make rules. Right. We tell them what to do. We tell them how to do it. And so one of the ways that we communicate with our kids is by setting boundaries for them. Don't go in the road. You need to do your chores every day. 
Your curfew is 10, a, is 10 p.m. Rules are a hugely important way that we communicate with our kids. However, Ted Tripp in his book suggests that we as parents can often reduce all of our communication to the rules and to its two main companions, correction and discipline. So rules, correction, and discipline are the basics, but we can sometimes get stuck in that area. And that's what we're going to be looking at in more detail. In Shepherding a Child's Heart, Tripp talks about how we can start to get into a rut with the way we approach our kids, sort of running on autopilot. It goes something like this. You give your kids the rules, they break the rules, you correct them, you announce the price that they're going to pay for, for breaking the rules, wash, rinse, and repeat. And we keep going on that cycle over and over and over again. Now, obviously, this, all of this must be part of our parenting. Um, we need to give the rules. We need to correct them when they break the rules. Uh, but if we are going to raise our kids well and teach them about Jesus, we must be more than a lawgiver, cop, and warden. We need to strive to have our communication fit our situation, the child, and the particular state of his or her heart. Now, but if we do fall into this trap, uh, then our kids will easily conclude that they're nothing more than convicts serving out an 18-year sentence and spend their entire childhood longing for the day when they can be emancipated instead of cherishing their time in our houses. And that's especially true for our teens, by the way. Uh, Now, it's no big surprise, but the Bible can help us here. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. What are, di- what are some of the different aspects of communication see here? I'll turn that one over to you guys. What, do, what, did, what were some of the words about communication that you heard? Admonish. Yeah. Encourage. What are some others? Patience, yeah, yeah. The one that may not immediately jump to mind when, when you think about communication, help, right? That, that interaction in terms of bringing somebody along. This verse helps us to see that different occasions and different hearers need different approaches and different types of communication. Not everybody is the same, not every situation is the same. So what other means do we have for communication that can help us fulfill the admonition found in this, in this passage? I've come up with several ways to categorize how we can communicate. They're listed there in your handout. Um, they're kind of a mashup of ideas that are found in both Shepherding a Child's Heart and in, and in the book Age of Opportunity. So I want to go through about, I think there's six or seven of them there that we're going to go through as to things that we can add to the basics of rule setting, uh, 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 correction, and discipline. So the first one that I want to do is we, we teach our kids, we communicate with our kids through instruction. Now, instruction is the process of providing information that will help your children to understand the world where, where we live. As a parent, you're the main means by which God is going to move your children from com- the complete ignorance of infancy to the knowledge of the world and wisdom of God that they will need as adults. So what are the, some, some of the things you have to instruct your kids about? Um, here's one example from when, I was, when, I was, when my kids were particularly young. I remember several years ago, I was putting my girls to bed, and one of them looked up to me. I don't remember which one it was. One of them looked up to me and asked why kids were not allowed to be Christians. Um, <laughs> and that, 
in that particular moment, it was my job to instruct her so that she would know the right things about what God is, has done in the world and that she was certainly not prevented from trusting in Christ. Right? When our kids do not speak or act rightly in a particular situation, we need to ask ourselves, what have we taught them about that thing? Is there misunderstanding or ignorance that needs to be corrected? And do they just need some instruction? And as our kids get older, we're going to continue, of course, to need to instruct them. Uh, but the subject matter is going to change. It's going to be less about facts and things and rules and what you expect of them. And it's going to be more about uh, why you make the decisions you do and helping them to ex- understand or explaining at a deeper level the reasons for the rules and boundaries that you put in place. So you're, as your kids get older, the, the, the kind of instruction is going to expand and shift. Uh, second, we communicate through dialogue. Um, if we really want to be successful at getting to the heart and addressing character and knowing our kids well, we must not simply talk to our kids, but we must talk with our kids. This requires dialogue, and the two main tools we have for dialogue are asking good questions and being a good listener. The goal here is to have a dialogue and not a monologue, right? So you've got to keep both people talking, and there's two things to keep in mind when we're trying to do that. The first one I'll I'll give to you through a quote from Ted Tripp. He says this, The finest art of communication is not learning how to express your thoughts. It is learning how to draw out the thoughts of another. Your objective in communication must be to understand your child, not simply to have your child understand you. Good questions allow them to express themselves are a way to accomplish this. And then the second thing we need to keep in mind is that we need to focus on understanding what their answers are. You must try to understand what is going on inside of your child. When you're asking questions, and it's important not to vent your feelings, anger, or hurt if your kid has disobeyed you. The goal is to understand the nature of the struggle that your child is having, ha- having. Sorry, And for this, you must practice being a good listener. You need to hear the answers that they're saying and really understand them so you can understand where your kids are at. Over time and as they grow in maturity, you're actually helping your kids be aware of their own hearts and motivations as well. So asking questions and listening to the answers really helps you not only identify what's going on in the child, but it helps your kids to become more and more self-aware. The skill of dialoguing with your kids will look different at different ages. Questions you ask a, a young child will be much narrower and pointed than the questions you would ask for a teenager. So let's, let's talk a little bit about a couple of examples and what we might ask for questions. What would you guys ask of a, small, of a child, maybe a four-year-old, who's uh, taking, his, taking toys away from his or her sibling. What would be some questions you could ask that child uh, in terms of understanding what's going on and, and providing correction and communication with them? Why did you do that? Okay. So what, what motivated you to take the, the thing? That's, that's one. Sure. Have you asked to take a turn? Have you asked to take a turn? Good. Yep. Are you loving your sibling? Are you, are you great? Are you loving your sibling? Mm-hmm. Others? Those are good. Let's shift, let's shift to the example. What about uh, a teen who wants to join a club at school and you're not so sure it's a good idea? What, what could be some questions you would ask in that case?
why do you want to join the club? Why are you so motivated? Stay your motivations. Why? What is it about the club that interests you? Why? Yeah. Yeah. Have you thought through any things that might be negative about the club? What do you think that might be? Okay. Good. Good question. Yeah. Things that might be negative. Uh, and uh, trying to get them to elicit the answers. I like that part of it, right? Not just answer, you don't end up answering their questions for them. You need to get them to talk about what the, what the answers might look like. Yep. Sorry? Are you doing it because somebody else is doing it? Or okay. who is going to be in this club with you? Right, so is it peer, peer pressure involved, and who are going to be the kids you're associating with, and what are they like? Yeah. Yeah, those are all those questions. Again, the point is to get, especially with the teenagers, to get that conversation flowing. When they're younger, the questions are more pointed. You're still looking for that dialogue, but it's more instructive in nature. So, good. Uh, another way we need to communicate with our kids um, is through encouragement. Um, encouragement is communication that is intended to inspire someone with hope and courage. As Christian parents, we want to inspire our kids with the hope of the gospel and the promises of God, right? So children can get discouraged just like we do. They feel hopeless at times. They experience pain. They experience frustration. Um, they, they fail sometimes, and they're discouraged by that. Um, and we need to be well-practiced at encouraging them. Proverbs 25, uh, twelve twenty-five says, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down but a good word makes him glad. Or Proverbs 6.24, Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. If you're anything like me, this form of communication is way underutilized. We fall into the trap of thinking that it is more important to ensure that we discipline, warn, and rebuke than to dialogue and encourage. But this is not true. It just is not true. Can anybody think of examples of situations where encouragement is actually the best form of communication as opposed to some of the others that we have talked about so far? I think when a kid has, or anyone, has sinned against you, and maybe they even are willing to come and apologize, sometimes all that you need to say is, I forgive you and I love you, versus... Well, thank you for saying that, but I need you to understand that da 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 wasn't right, and da da da, and it's like you don't have to say that. They already know they did something wrong. Um, they right. need to be forgiven and move on. Yes, yes, that, that's a great one. The, the tail end of what she said is really when they really understand that they have done the, they have done something wrong and they're coming to confess is a great time to use encouragement and not to look for the teachable moment. Right. Others? Steve? When they've done something like a project, and the project has not come out necessarily to your expectations, uh, right. but they've given it their all, and, and that's a great time to be thoroughly encouraging of the results, uh, yes. rather than critical of the yes. results. When they put in the good effort, regardless of the outcome. Yeah, that's a great one. Others? Uh, yeah? Uh, sure. they failed at something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when they when they fail and they uh, maybe it's uh, a, a schoolwork or something like that, a project at school. Yeah, sports. Yep, yep. Here's another one that I thought of. It's not necessarily connected to what our kids do. We need to look for opportunities to encourage our kids just because. Again, this is something that I that I that I'm not very good at, but. 
uh, oftentimes I'm interacting with my kids about their behavior and about my parenting of them when there's a conflict already in the air, when we're already dealing with rules that have been broken or something like that. I'm not as good at just seeing that they've done something good and encouraging it just because it's there. And that's an area where I think we uh, need to be encouraging uh, to our kids, or we can be very encouraging to our kids, is just to notice them and to recognize when they're doing well uh, and not always being parenting in the, in the, in the times of, of conflict or need, or need for correction. Good. Another way we communicate is actually through warnings. Now, warnings put our kids on guard against some probable danger. Warning is not a threat. Uh, It is a type of speech that is merciful and loving and makes the hearer aware that A leads to B and B is not good. It's like posting a sign informing drivers that there's a bridge out up ahead. Um, Let me give you an example of of a helpful warning. Maybe you're training your child to stay in bed during nap time. And you say, sweetheart, you've gotten out of your bed the last couple of nap times and you've received a spanking. So I want you to remember... If you get out of bed again today, I will need to discipline you. That's a warning. Uh, No, it is not. Here's here's what the threat would sound like. Do you want a spanking? No. No? Good. Stay in bed. That would be the threat. Or another threat, I'm going to count to three. And if you're not here by the time I get to three, you're really going to get it. Those are threats. Uh, Um... The difference, or the, the main difference between a warning and a threat is that a threat tries to manipulate your child into doing what you want. Whereas a warning just makes them aware of what the consequences are for their actions. So, um, and it can, and like, like you're noting, I think, Dean, it can be really easy to cross over from one to the other, right? Um, it can be easy for me to say, now, sweetheart, you've gotten out of your bed the last couple of nap times. You know, it's easy for me to have that dialogue and kind of mean it in a threatening kind of a way. But it's also possible and also necessary at times for us just to make our kids aware of if you do A, B is what follows and B is not, and B is not the good thing. You know, we want the other. So, uh, the, the, yeah, go for it. That's a good question. The question is, can you use a warning after disobedience of a child, um, or does it need to be given before disobedience has even happened? Uh, Obviously, the ideal situation is for the warning to come before the bad thing has happened. You know, there's a bridge out. That that sign comes before you try to cross the bridge, not after you try to cross the bridge, right? Um, does that mean that we can't use warnings as part of our discipline for them? I, I think that's. I think that is possible. I think that uh, there are a couple of inherent dangers that go along with it, and this is just looking at my own heart here, right? The inherent danger is that it's 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 much more likely to come out as a threat at that point in time. It's like, I don't want you to do this again, right? We've had situation number one. I don't want you to do it again, so I'm going to warn you, but that's not really what I'm doing. I'm really making sure you don't inconvenience me a second time or something like that, right? So we need to be careful using it afterwards. I think that, though, I I do want to say that it is not inappropriate for, for you to review with them during the course of discipline what your rules are, and what the consequences for your rules are. 
um, especially, uh, you know, and this may more, fall more into the form of explanation, but you can have the same kind of a conversation when you're saying, now, I told you not to get out of, out of bed. What's the consequence for that? And we go over what that, and that's essentially reiterating the warning as a, as a means of, of describing what you're going, what's going on with your kids. So I think, I think it is possible um, to do as, as in the context of discipline, but it can be challenging and it can easily fall over into, th- into the threat category. Does that answer the question? Oh, yes. I see what you're saying. Yes, and that is, and that is challenging. Using a threat as the first form of discipline, in other words, as opposed to uh, uh, spanking right away or disciplining right away, um, can lead to a kid who is, is willing to say, well, mom or dad doesn't actually really discipline me until the third time I do it. Right. And so that that can be the challenge of using a warning instead of discipline. I thought you were asking in the context of discipline. If you use that instead of some other discipline, it can come. It can that can happen easily. Sonia. This might make sense in my question, but I've fallen into recently, like, with Cora, you know, uh, Cora, shut the door, and she won't do it, and I'll say, okay, now you're going to be spanking, and I'll go to stand up, and she's like, okay, mom, and she shuts the door. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and it's over every time now. Sure. So it's, it's tempting to just go with that, because now mm-hmm. I don't have to just get away, right? Right. Um, right. But that's kind of a warning, but yeah. probably overusing. Yeah, using a warning as a substitute for other disciplines can, can be troublesome, right? And that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about this as a means of communi- warning as a means of communication, not as a substitute for discipline, right? And that's where you can get into trouble. Good questions. Um, kind of closely connected to all of these things and something that we might need to stray into at times is the idea of a rebuke. Right? We've discussed both correction and warning so far, but what if you need something more than that? And again, this, we're, we're talking in the realms of types of communication here, so I'm not setting aside discipline at this point in time, and we're going to focus on discipline in some of our upcoming sessions. But in terms of com- means of communication, what if you need more than just warning and correction? Um, then if, if you do, then a, a rebuke may need to be in order. If a warning alerts your child that something could go wrong and correction communicates that something has gone wrong, a rebuke helps to communicate with your child a sense of alarm or deep concern about what they've said or done. Uh, here are some behaviors that right, there, there are some behaviors that rightly draw this kind of weight of response. Your child tells his or her mom that he hates her. A rebuke is needed, and it might look something like this. It is wrong for you to speak those words, and I never want to hear you speak them again. So you can hear the, 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 the weight and gravity that you're trying to add to your other correction. That might be some other form of discipline, but you're trying to add to that this sense of rebuke. Ted Tripp gives some other examples. Uh, a child wishing injury or death on a person, uh, or even if they are trying to physically harm another child, or in our house, it might be an animal. Um, <laughs> rebuke is used to enhance or give extra weight to correction. Use it sparingly, uh, because if it's overused, it loses its punch and will tend to exasperate your kids. And that's, you know, from Scripture, we do not want to be in the position of exasperating our kids. And if we're always rebuking them, if every little offense results in a rebuke, we're going to exasperate them. And so you want to use this sparingly, uh, but there are times when it is going to be vital to communicate in this way. 
the next one, uh, sixth one, uh, we communicate through persistence. This one's not so much a way of speaking as it is a way of being with our kids. Um, there will be many times during your parenting when you're going to feel like a broken record. You're going to be playing the same phrase repeatedly. And this can feel exhausting, but it's not actually a sign that there's necessarily something gone wrong in your parenting. What it illustrates is that there is a need for persistence in order to help our kids understand things. Kids will rarely learn what they need to know the first time that they're instructed. We homeschool our kids, and one of the features of the math curriculum that we use is that the practice sets continually go over the same material that they may have learned a long time ago. They'll be at the end of the book, and they'll still be practicing things specifically in the, in the example set that takes things from the beginning of the book. And that's because they're understood that persistent review helps with understanding. So when your kids are, are young, persistence will often take the form of patiently repeating the same lessons over and over again. That's that broken record idea. But as they get older, we need to exercise a different kind of persistence. With your teens, they need you not to give up trying to communicate. They will be distracted, busy, prideful, and selfish, and this will cause them to seemingly rebuff your attempts to connect with them. But we need to persist beyond that. I want to read this section, small section, out of uh, Age of Opportunity. Excellent book for those of you who are, have upcoming teens. And this is in his section on uh, constant conversation. For years, it has been my habit to visit each of my four children when I come home at night. I remember the night when I went down to one of my son's room to talk. I asked him how he was doing and how his day had been. He said, okay, but he wasn't very convincing. You don't sound okay, I said. What's wrong? Nothing. He said, just the same old stuff. There must be something in your mind. You look discouraged, I replied. It's hard to explain. You know, it's just life. It stinks, he mumbled. Yeah, but you can, yeah, it can be really hard sometimes, I said. But I still don't know what we're talking about. Do we have to talk about this now? He said with an edge of impatience. I said, look, you know I love you. I come down here every day because I care. I'm not trying to hassle you. If you don't want to talk uh, right now, that's okay. And here's the goal. This is back to, back to him just writing the book. As parents of teenagers, it is important to realize that these conversations don't just happen. You make them happen by daily pursuit of your child. This daily pursuit does not have to be negative, something your teenager dreads before it happens and barely tolerates as it's going on. Rather, these times can be loving and encouraging, a habit of your relationship with your teenager that both of you have grown to appreciate. So we need to be willing to persist with our kids and keep on uh, uh, engaging with them time over time over time. And patience is a superpower here. Do not grow weary in well-doing, and don't do your kids the disservice of giving up on what you need to say too easily. Speak to them regularly, even if they don't seem to care whether you're in the room or not. Finally, I want to talk a word, speak a word about prayer. Uh, prayer... Uh, is not communication with a child, but with God. But it is nevertheless an essential element of communication between you and your kids. Uh, praying with and for our children and inviting them into prayer with us is a tremendous opportunity to train them, grow in our understanding of our children, and to know what's happening in their hearts. 
It's also a way to help them see that we are also under authority, God's authority, and are dependent on his provision to us. Now, I'll confess to you that I've not used this tool as I should. As, I'm, as I was reading this and I was reading some of the books on, on this subject, it's clear, the, the benefits are clear when I'm reading it, right? <laughs> but the reality is, I'm lazy in prayer. And I let my fear of feeling self-conscious about praying with other people keep me from praying with my kids on a regular basis. Um, but there's so much connection that we can be had if we will stop and pray with our kids and so much instruction and help that we can give them by modeling that in front of them. So uh, why don't we go ahead and stop there? There was a couple of questions along the way. What are some questions that you guys might have about the ways in which we can communicate with our kids, either brought on by some of the things that I said or things that are just rolling around in your minds about how communication either has gone with your kids or are anticipating you go as the kids grow up? So all of these things to me seem to be verbal things, but modeling behavior is, I think, a big way of communication. Yes. Yes, and that's an excellent point. He said that modeling is a way of communicating with our kids, and I think that's, that's very true. And yes, I did focus primarily on uh, um, you know, voc- verbal spoken communication here, but that's, that's a very good point. Very good point. Yeah, Chris. Do you talk about warning? I think about how, when you're talking about warning, um, that kind of changes with age, though. Because I was thinking of, like, uh, don't take any from strangers. Yep. You know, that kind of thing. And sure. Where if you're kid, you get a little older, and it's like, um, you give them warnings about all kinds of stuff when they're a teenager going on. Yep. So, I, I just think about that, because I used it a lot. I, I still hold hands when we cross the street. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, warnings are, are hugely helpful in terms of uh, just helping our kids to understand what the, com- what the consequences are of actions. And as our kids get to be teenagers, that's a lot of our conversations have, have to do with, you're going to do this, what are the consequences that are going to come out of that? Because we're trying to train them in terms of being able to understand what the future ramifications are, either benefits or, or detriments, what the future ramifications are of what's happening here and now today. And warnings are one way we, we accomplish that. Brad? I was going to ask, can you help me differentiate uh, a review, which you seem to, you seem to tell you extremely solemn and not and rarely. Can you help me understand the difference between that and ordinary you know, redirection and correction? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, and those are probably the two words that I would use. One is correction, which is uh, more along the lines of just helping them to understand what it is they've done wrong and the fact that they have, uh, you know, maybe broken one of the rules of your house or done something that is dangerous or something like that. Not dangerous in a in a in a big way, but um, you know, you're just trying to help them and understand, you know, and correct their behavior. Um, the, the idea of rebuke that I'm trying to bring forth here um, is, is, a more, is a more solemn idea. But I guess I'll use that, I'll use that question to say this. The, the, the definitions and you know, categories that we have here, aren't, they're not technical terms, right? They're not, um, and the definitions that we have aren't like super precise, that if you do this, that's a rebuke, and that's a correction, and this is something else. There's tons of overlap here between the different ideas and just because you might think of something as, 
you know, when I'm correcting, I'm rebuking them in some way. That's technically true. But I was trying to come up, I was just trying to bring forth that idea of, you know, when I really get down in their face and say, you need to not do this. That's the idea of rebuke that I was talking about. It doesn't mean that there aren't softer kinds of that that you might call other things. And in this context, I would just say that that's correction. And that's just as a way of distinguishing those two modes of communication. I think uh, often I fall into the trap of uh, communication is very uh, conflict-oriented, like, like, right? You know, we, we think of communicating a lot during conflict, and I, def- I can often minimize instruction yes. and how helpful it is if you, if you create categories like this is what loving your sibling looks like. Sure. You then have something to hang those, those future, uh, hey, when the toy gets taken away, yes. that can go back to an instructive moment that you've had before and how helpful it is for kids when you can contextualize their behavior in instruction that's already happened. Yes, and that's an excellent point. And that's, you know, that gets back to you know, that little script that I put together when I, when I was talking about instruction. It should be in our minds, you know, what's going on here? Why has this happened? And is there something that I have failed or, or just haven't gotten around to yet instructing my child about? Um, because it is hard to enact correction and discipline on somebody when you haven't instructed them about what they're supposed to do. That is, that is, a, that is a challenging situation. Yeah, Amy. Um, is it okay to give a second chance? This could have been your child or my child this week, but they were tired of schoolwork, flung a marker across the room, mm-hmm. and I said, you know, you can eat, you know, you can go pick up the marker and come back and do schoolwork again, or mm-hmm. we can go talk to your dad. Sure. Is it okay to, I mean, especially... I mean, I know flinging things isn't the best of actions, but <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> so I, I, we're, we're getting into questions that ultimately get down to wisdom here, right? Um, there's not a lot of black and white rights and wrongs. The thing, the thing that comes to my mind when I think about that is the thing you want to be on guard against is encouraging that, well, I can throw the marker two times before mom actually gets, gets down to disciplining me. So... So, the, so I don't think it's a problem to give second chances necessarily. That's, that, that's akin to using a warning to, as, as, as a substitute for discipline there. Not, not, but it's not necessarily that you can't do that. It's just that you need to recognize that if done regularly in that context, you might have a kid who is just saying, yep, I can get away with it once. Yep, I can get away with it twice. And the third time I, the mom says it, I'd better obey. And if you're not wanting to encourage that behavior, you probably need to discipline sooner rather than giving warnings or second chances sooner. Yeah. Um, does that answer the question? Did I, did I get it? And, it's, and it really gets down to wisdom. I mean, it's not, it's not a right or wrong. It really gets, just gets down to what are you trying to, uh, trying to accomplish and what's needful for the heart of your child at that time and in that moment. Yeah. You know, so, and we're going to have to get going pretty quick here. But yeah, can you really the prayer a little bit more? You were talking about prayer, and then mm-hmm. I had my mind there, so yeah, say your prayer before bed, but like, you seem to be going in a different direction with that. So. Uh, yes. Uh, the prayer that I'm advocating for here, and the one that I don't do very well, because I do reasonably okay with prayers at bedtime, that's easy. Um, but this is prayers in the context of interacting with your kids about stuff. They've done something wrong. Pray for them that they, would, <clears throat> that they would understand and know what's right and that God would be revealing to them their need for Christ in the middle of it, right? Those are the kinds of prayers that I was specifically thinking of here. Um, and, 
Yeah, so it's a good question, and we can talk more about that one you know, maybe after the session, but I, I want to make sure that we have enough time for the rest of our content. But it's a good thought, and I was thinking more about just prayers at mealtime and prayers at bed. This is prayers as a mean of communication with your kids and use regularly during their instruction. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good. We need to, we need to move on, maybe, and we should, hopefully we'll have a little bit of time for questions right at the end. So we've talked a little bit about how we communicate, but what's the content of what we're trying to get through? And these, things, these will go reasonably quickly. Um, so the first, co- the first category that I wanted to talk about is just worldly knowledge, right? We communicate to our kids uh, the things about the world. There are many things about life that our children learn from us. They learn how to brush their teeth, how to tie their shoes, how to manage their money, how to apply for a job. Uh, and we have a hand in teaching them all of the subjects that they learn in school. Much of, much of what they know about the world around them will come through your instruction of them. And so we teach them and we instruct them and we communicate to them things about the world that we live in. But ultimately, our primary calling as parents is not to communicate to them all the stuff about the world out there, although that's important. It's to communicate to them God's word, the whole counsel of God. Here's a quote from John MacArthur from his book, What the Bible Says About Parenting. One could accurately say then that parents who want to be thorough in evangelizing their children need to teach them the whole counsel of God, taking care to show the gospel ramifications in all the truth. And here's, a, here's a, a quote from Instructing a Child's Heart, one of the other books that, that Ted Tripp wrote with his wife <clears throat> called Instructing a Child's Heart. The call to formative instruction is a call to provide our children with a biblical grid for, un, for interpreting and responding to reality. It is so important for us as Christian parents to communicate the truths of the Bible, and we do this by saturating our instruction and correction with the Bible, having family worship, by making sure that they're here in this building as often as we can. Church on Sunday, Awana, youth group, foundations classes, whatever is going on here, you know that there is going to be Bible content in it, and getting your kids into it is so important. All of these are ways that we import the wisdom of the Bible to them. But here again, there's a level deeper that we need to get to, because we're not just about teaching them only the facts and content found in the Bible. That is the minimum for sure, and they have to know the content of the Bible in order to to come to faith in Christ. But we want to communicate to them that wonderful truth, the truth that God sent Jesus to pay for our sin, and through his death, burial, and resurrection, freedom from sin is not only possible, but there for the taking. Ultimately, we can't make our kids believe. We're, We're committed to that theologically, but... We can hold the gospel out to them and live it out in front of them in such a way that it looks like cookies on a low shelf and not boiled Brussels sprouts. This message certainly needs needs the foundation stones of general knowledge and biblical truth to stand on, but our kids' salvation through faith in Christ is what our instruction is really designed to lead to. Okay, three more things quickly uh, that form the content of what we communicate. We communicate, and talk, we communicate boundaries. Now, we talked about rules earlier, and I in a little bit of a different way. Rules are not really ends in and of themselves. They are a way to communicate something bigger. And if rules do not serve a higher purpose in your house, then you risk frustrating your kids with the rules. The purpose and goal of setting up rules is to communicate a set of boundaries that will help your kids to learn wisdom. The boundaries that we create 
make a space where it is safe and profitable for them to live and where they can be free to explore and learn and understand to, how to know God and to Christ, know Christ by, trust, by knowing us and trusting our leadership of them. Now, if, you, if we want our kids to trust our leadership, one of the things that is really critical is that they need to know that we are for them. And that's number five on your outline there. <clears throat> they need to know that we are for them. It's so easy to get caught up in making sure that kids follow the rules or do what we want or ensuring that all of the teachable moments get their lessons taught. And the problem with this is that it misses the forest for the trees. And our kids end up just trying to figure out what hoops they need to jump through to make us happy today. But it's not about our happiness. Raising our kids is not about our happiness. Communicating is about building a relationship with our kids that lasts for a lifetime and can be translated into the greater relationship with God and Jesus Christ. When my kids were young and in that kind of lots of spankings phase, when we had a hard day, I would put them to bed and I would say something like this. I would say, hey, look at me. Daddy has something really important to tell you. I don't care how many things you did wrong today or how many times I had to discipline you. I love you very much, and I always will. We need to make sure that our kids know that even in the context of a hard day of discipline, that we are for them. And that will stand us good, especially as our kids grow and into teen years and then into beyond as we want to have influence in their lives over time. And finally, we need to be willing to ask for forgiveness when we're wrong. Repentance is, is critical, a critical thing that we need to communicate with our kids. It's never a bad decision to go to your child and confess your sin to them. You will not weaken your position or cause them to disrespect you. They need to see you as a humble and willing to recognize when you're wrong. And let's face it, we're wrong a lot. You may have to come to the, come to the wrong conclusion about who should be disciplined. You may have gotten angry because of something that they did. You might be too harsh with the consequences you assign when correcting them. My own tendency is to be harsh and to whip off unhelpful consequences, mostly when the need to parent them has inconvenienced me in some kind of a way. And I frequently need to repent to my kids for yelling at them when I should be speaking gently. We, have a couple, we, have, we don't really have more time for questions, unfortunately. I was hoping that we would. So I'm going to ignore that instruction in my notes and just, and just close up by saying that we as parents have a blessed and difficult assignment to raise our kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. To do this, we must be communicators and so that they can know what this, about this world that we inhabit, the God who made it, and the way of salvation that he's provided. And we do this through communicating many things. Knowledge, the Bible, salvation, our love and desires for them to be successful and faithful servants of God. And we accomplish that by communicating in a way that goes beyond the mere transmission of information or ensuring that they do what we want, but targets the hearts and souls of our kids. We need to avoid being merely the lawgiver, cop, and warden. And instead, we want to be coach, encourager, challenger, leader, and advocate. Let's pray as we close. Father in heaven, we are grateful for this opportunity. We ask that you would help us to communicate well with our kids. We are grateful for the opportunity that we have, as intimidated by it as we might be. Give us courage for the fight. Give us courage and, and ability to move forward faithfully and in ways that they appreciate. We thank you so much for what you have done for us in Christ, and we ask that you would save our kids through, through faith in him. We pray for all this in Jesus' name. Amen.